0: The reading is from Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, And these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, but overcome evil with good." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, good evening to you all. Good evening, Michael. On this magic day, Valentine's Day. I hope you've been enjoying it, you lovers out there. Where did it all start? Well, it had two origins. One was a wild Roman pagan festival where near-naked youths in goat skins um, chased the girls. The other was a Christian priest called Valentinus, who was mur- m- martyred for his faith in the third century. He was a very caring man with a big heart for widows and for children And for teenagers, he got caught up in one of the periodic persecutions of Christians. And when he was facing his judge, he said to him, If you knew the gift of God, sir, you would abandon the worship of these impure gods, and you and your empire would be happy. The judge asked him what he thought of Jupiter and Mercury. They seem to have spent their time in very base pleasures, he replied. Well, needless to say, he was sentenced to death and he was tortured as well. And the astounding thing to me is that while he was in prison, he led his jailer, a man called Asterius, to trust Christ and the two of them were executed together. Isn't it amazing that the patron saint of natural human love should turn out to be this servant of divine love? Well, I don't think it really is so surprising. Not if the Christian account of love is true, because God is love. That's the Christian claim. It's the precise opposite of Freud's account. Freud believed that human love is primary and the idea of God's love is a sort of illusory projection up into the empty heavens. Christianity says, no way. All human love is a reflection of the divine love, the love of God, the love that makes the world go round. So it would be reasonable, wouldn't it, if this is so, that as we look at love, which really is our number one interest, as we look at human love, we should be able to get some clues about what God is like. And I'm going to offer you five of them here this evening. Here is the first insight into the supreme lover that we get from human love. And it's just the fact that love is personal. You cannot have love in a vacuum. To say, I love, is meaningless. To say, I love you, is wonderful. God loves us, cried the New Testament. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. We are the objects of God's love. And love is only possible between persons, is it? So God cannot be less than personal. He may be well beyond personality, but he cannot be less than personal. And that is what Jesus has come to show us. He is the love of God in person. He is the window to let the sunshine of God's love shine through to us. His life was Constantly being poured out for other people, wasn't it? Be they Pharisees or prostitutes. Be they blind beggars or foreign army officers. Jesus shows how personal God's love is for each one of us. It comes down to this. You don't have to look for God. You wouldn't bother anyway, would you? But God has come looking for you. He faces you in the person of Jesus and he says, there, that is love. Utter self-giving for the utterly undeserving. Will you have it? The love behind the Big Bang. The love which spun the universe into space has erupted. In Jesus of Nazareth and love confronts us in the person of Jesus and calls for a response. What do you think of Jesus? That's the critical question. Not does God exist. That's the wrong way to look at it. It leaves comfortable room for arrogant evasion. But God is not an it to be debated. He's an I to be encountered. And in Jesus, the love which is God faces us. Not as a um, statement to be discussed, but as a person to be met. You can't love a statement. You can't usefully debate A person. The only way to find out about a person, really, is to meet them. That's true of human love, isn't it? Well, it's also true about God, the great lover. He invented love, for heaven's sake. He invented this stuff which is our number one interest. He is love. And he waits for us to meet him. That's the first thing. The second thing is that love is satisfying. Listen to St. John. God is love. And his love was revealed to us in this, that he sent his only son into the world to bring us life. Life through love. That's what people are looking for in a rather drab world. You know, the song may be, when somebody really loves you, That's when your life begins. And you know how it is when people are in love. They're utterly taken up with each other. They're completely satisfied with each other. They sit looking into each other's eyes goofily. And nothing else matters. They have each other's. They've entered into a new shared life. And it's wonderful. Unfortunately, that love sometimes dies quite quickly, but often it matures through years of happy marriage. But even so, all human love is incomplete. It points beyond itself. It reaches for an experience that it cannot actually provide. And that's why St. Augustine long ago said in a prayer, Oh God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And it's not surprising, really, if we keep the great lover out of our lives, that we should be restless. Oh, I know we don't think of God as the great lover, we think of him as the great policeman. See if anybody's enjoying themselves out there and stop it quick. His aim, we feel, is to make our lives dreary, not to make them fulfilled. Well, wherever we got that idea from, it's not to be found in the New Testament. Listen to Jesus' own words. I have come that you may have life, life in all its fullness. I wonder if you know Francis Thompson's poem, The Hound of Heaven. He describes his desperate efforts to keep God out of his life because he thought that God would spoil rather than satisfy. And eventually he found out his mistake and the heavenly pursuer catches up with him and cries, thou dravest love from thee. Who dravest me? So, whether we look at the great literature like Shakespeare's love sonnets, or whether we um, listen to the lyrics of many of the pop songs, they all deal with love. And many of them deal with the anguish of love that has died. And the loved one has been rejected. That's the really painful thing. I don't know if you know Tina Turner's What's Love Got to Do with It? It's a very good example because first she is trying to say, ah, oh, there's nothing to love except chemistry, it's not real. And then by the end, she is saying, ah, oh, the anguish of being loved and then dumped. You must understand that the touch of your hand makes my pulses react. It's only the thrill of boy meeting girl. Opposites attract. It's only physical. Only physical. You must try to ignore that it means more than that. What's love got to do with it? What is love but a sweet old-fashioned notion? Who needs a heart, when a heart can be broken? And alas, that broken heart of love, the love that is discarded, is all too common. But it's never like that with the love of God. He'll never ditch us. My fear that I'm unworthy and inadequate is banished by a love that accepts me just as I am. My sense of loneliness, and many people are lonely even in a crowd, in this mechanized and impersonal world. My sense of loneliness is met by his constant companion, the companionship of the risen Jesus Christ, whose promise stands firm. I am with you to the end of time. That means that he's available to share your life with you, to help you in your weakness, to be there when you need him. Forgive me if that seems obvious to you. For many years, it was very far from obvious to me. I didn't see what the difference, what difference the resurrection of Jesus could possibly make to me. And now I realize that it makes all the difference in the world. For it means that we have to do with the one who is alive forevermore, the one who has smashed death and is in business for keeps. And as he's alive forever, he's able to meet our deepest needs for that very reason. Do you want a really satisfying life? I'm sure we all do. That's our goal. And for many people, money, sex, and power, that mighty trio, are the goals. But unfortunately, they won't do it. They will not satisfy the deepest longings of the human heart. But if you allow the love of God to enter you and to fill you and to work through you to other people, In other words, if you welcome the great lover into your life, then you will find life at its fullest and its best. Love is satisfying. I think the third thing to notice, where the parallels between human and divine love are so strong, is that love is searching. They say that love is blind. They're talking rubbish. You are never so aware, you are never so awake as when you are in love. Love scrutinizes the beloved, searches them out, looks for every little failure and wrinkle, wants to find out every lovely character trait, every mood, every response. The lover will not tolerate any secrets. Any subterfuge he wants to know his beloved through and through and God is just as searching in his love he cannot be deceived he cannot be taken in his eyes are like a laser beam he looks right into us what does he see Well, amidst many good things, I think he sees spoiled lives. In an age when human beings reckon that they are the measure of all things, the ironical main problem is that we are the heart of the mess. There was a discussion in the Times many years ago about what's wrong with the world. And a famous man wrote in, Sir, I am yours sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. True, isn't it? Our greed, our lust, our hate, our jealousy, these are the things that wreck life. And the seeds of these things are in every one of us. Mercifully, they haven't all flowered in us, but the seeds are there. We were born with them as our forefathers were and we cannot eradicate them, try as we may. Science can do many things, but science cannot help us to conquer ourselves. Neither can psychology. It can analyze and clarify the selves that we are, but it cannot make new men and women of us. And Jesus saw to the heart of the problem. Listen, he said, It is from within, out of the heart of man, that evil thoughts come, acts of fornication, theft, murder, and adultery, ruthless greed, pride, and folly. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And that is something God sees with his loving eyes as the mask of respectability is torn off our faces and as we appear in our true colors. He sees spoiled lives, I'm afraid. Could you argue it? I couldn't. He also sees selfish lives. The Apostle John puts it like this. He says, not that we loved God, but he loved us. We don't love God, of course we don't. We barely tolerate him. We spurn his love. What about walking into a pub and saying, I want to share the love of God with you. Boo, ya boo, the whole thing would go ballistic, wouldn't it? That's because humans don't react very well to that love of God. We spurn it. When God showed his love for humankind in Jesus Christ, what do we do? We nailed him to a cross. He was too uncomfortable, too bright a light for us. Thank you very much. This is our condemnation, says the Bible. That people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Despite all the father's love to us, we've behaved like the prodigal son. We've gone off, we've turned our backs on God and deliberately chosen to live in a far country. And we find out, sooner or later, what a miserable place it is, cut off from his love. In the meantime, our selfishness must break his heart. Yes, love has x-ray eyes. But also, and here's the fourth thing, that love is sacrificial. One writer put it like this, We never know how much someone loves us until we know how much they're willing to endure and suffer for us. It is the suffering, the sacrificial element, that measures love. And that's, of course, the great difference between love and lust. Lust says I. Love says you. Lust grasps. Love gives. Lust is determined to enjoy. Love is willing to sacrifice. That's true of the deepest and best human love. And it's certainly true of God's love. Listen again to the good book. God gave his son to be the remedy for the dirt of our sins. Or to Jesus himself, I have come to give my life a ransom. For many, to buy them back from this slavery that they're in. Or listen to St. Paul, the Son of God loved me, he says with amazement, and gave himself for me. Incredible love. Love as he came into this world. Love as he lived for us. Love as he died for us. There, personally to absorb the filth of our wrongdoings. We've got so used to the idea of the cross and his life for us. We don't really quite understand it, but we've got used to it. It's like water off a duff's back. So um, it doesn't grip us anymore. So I want to give you a human example that may help. It doesn't tell you all about the cross, but it tells you a very important and graphic part. Some years ago, I found myself preaching in the University of Princeton and there I met Ronald Gordon, who was the chaplain of the university. This man had been a prisoner of war in the horrific prison camp on the River Kwai. You may have seen the film Bridge Over the River Kwai, that whole Kwai business was to explain to people the horrors that um, captured British and uh, American and uh, Australian forces were under. I had my own cousin in this, as they had to uh, build this um, great Burmese railway and were treated like absolute animals. Um, They completely lost any sense of being human. People died like flies. The conditions were appalling. The hospital was just a mortuary. Each man lived for himself like starving animals in the jungle. And one day, a platoon of men was taken out to build this wretched railway. And at the end, their uh, uh, tools were counted by the Japanese NCO. And one was missing. And he and his fellow guards went absolutely bananas. They shouted, who has stolen this tool? And nobody answered. And they were shaking their machine guns and saying, unless somebody owns up who's stolen this thing, we'll shoot you all. And as the prisoners looked at them, they could see that this was real. They would be all shot one man stepped forward out of the ranks. He was immediately clubbed to death by the rifle butts of the guards. The men were formed up, they carried their den comrade, they carried their tools, and they were marched back to the camp. When they arrived in the camp, the tools were all counted again. And the tools were all present. That man had given up his life to save the whole squad from a doom that would otherwise overcome them. And it's something like that with the love of God. Humankind, so selfish, so spoiled, is doomed before a holy God. Like the men in that squad, And such was his sacrificial love that Jesus, God himself, coming amongst us, willingly took our doom so we could live. God loves like that. He sent his son to be the saviour of the world. It cost him blood and nails and hell to clean up our act and invite us back to jump into his arms for that's what will make the Lord say it was worth it. And so my last uh, analogy between human love and divine love is this, that love is challenging. What a challenging moment when a man puts a ring on the finger of his bride. It cements the commitment. And God's love for us challenges us to the very roots of our being. In the face of love like that, we can really only do two things. We can accept it or we can reject it. It's like when a young woman loves a man with a deep unselfish love when she's prepared to sacrifice everything for him particularly if the man feels that she's much too good for him he cannot trifle with a love like that he must respond such love demands self-giving in response nothing less will do he's got to decide To marry her, or to walk away and ditch her. And you know, it's like that with the love of God. It challenges us to decide. Shall we welcome the great lover into our lives with that ring on our finger, the ring of commitment? Or shall we not? Remember, it's... The God who loves you like that. The God who made you. The God who came to this earth to find you. The God who laid down his life for you. That's who we're talking about. That's who Valentine was always on about all those centuries ago. The God who looks into your heart and longs to clean it up. The God who pledges, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What will you do with the love of God? You must decide. Do you want that loving Lord to come into your life by his unseen Holy Spirit and fill you and satisfy you and flow through you to other people? He won't come until you ask him. He's too much of a gentleman. You see, love never forces. Love woos. And he's wooing you if you have never said yes to him. This is such a needy world. Wilderness. Wilderness crying out for love. We cannot share it with others until we have been invaded by his love. And he won't invade us until we let him. We cannot transmit the love of God until we are personally linked up to him. And you know, I guess he is looking over this church tonight. And he's looking at some of you with that love which is personal and searching and lasting and sacrificial. And he's challenging you. He's saying, will you welcome my love on board your life and begin a partnership that will never end? You may have been in church for years. This may be your first visit. You may have sung in choirs. You have, may have been to a variety of different churches. You may know a lot about the great lover. But nothing clicks until we say, I will. And I guess the Lord is asking that of you tonight to say, I will. I remember when over 50 years ago I said to my wife, I will. And that's what the Lord wants us to do to him. Say, okay, I've known a lot about you, I've walked out with you, so to speak, but I've never said I will. I've never entrusted myself. Like a lover, he is waiting for you to say yes. Yes. In our reading just now, these words came. I urge you, in view of God's mercy, offer your body as a living sacrifice. That's your spiritual act of worship. (laughs) That's not coming to church, not doing six good things before breakfast. Your spiritual act of worship is to yield your body to him. Don't you remember, how before you were married, you married folk, you were just itching to give your body to the other person's body. That's what love wants to do. Well, tonight, we're going to end this service with a communion. And at this communion service, the broken bread will be placed in your hand, your empty hand, because you have nothing to contribute to this except a heart that needs to be filled and this broken bread will be placed in your hand the body of Christ broken for you wow what love and what he looks for is your body your whole being offered to him in response he wants you to say, yes, I will. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so very much. That human love, which means so much to us, is a window in which, through which we can see your love so personal, so fulfilling, so searching, so sacrificial, so challenging. Lord, help us to say yes to you. Amen.